This morning we are continuing our series in the life of Joseph. We are in chapter 40 this week. Uh, just to remind us of where we've been, we were introduced to him really at age 17. He has these two dreams and he tells them to his family, which then um, sets into motion the fulfillment of these dreams. His brothers are envious. They attack him, sell him into slavery. Last week we find him in Potiphar's house where he has risen and he has uh, basically become second in command only to be uh, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and sent back to jail. And so it's been a pretty tumultuous beginning to this life of Joseph. And this week, our chapter is a little different. There are a few exciting moments, these dreams that we're going to hear interpreted. But really the chapter begins... And ends in the same. It's more of a trough. It's a down, kind of a down turn of his life as he's waiting for things to get better, for, for uh, rescue. And so this morning I would ask you this question, how are you guys doing this morning? How are you doing in your spiritual life? How are you doing in your physical, your emotional lives? Are you in this down trough? Are you waiting for things to get better? Is there something you're like longing for that's just not happening. We have in Joseph, of course, a picture of Jesus. And as we just sang, uh, as this whole service pronounces, is Jesus is the one who will ultimately bring us our dreams and our goals and rescue us. So let's read chapter 40 and lean into this story and see what we can learn from it. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the, their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, 
there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among the servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you that even when we come to passages like these, we know there is hope, there is your spirit can open our eyes to understand the text. We know that Joseph really does point to you, Jesus, and all that you did. And I pray that as your followers this morning, we would be stirred and even encouraged to walk closer and humbly, more humbly with you and see the beauty and the warning in this passage. In your name we pray, amen. So this, as I've already mentioned, this this chapter really does feel like a picture, a snapshot of the life we live in. We titled this sermon Between Two Dreams because Joseph's had his dreams early on. Next week we'll hear of the Pharaoh's dream, which is what begins the final process of Joseph's restoration. But here in the middle, we're at a low, and we're in a picture of really where we all exist in what theologians like to call the already and the not yet. That is, Jesus has already come. We know who he is. He's lived his perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. And one day, someday, he returns, but it seems like it's taking a long time. And so most of us are, are stuck in our daily lives, often forgetting in the hope we have in Christ, often looking to the, the momentary rescues, the momentary highs to kind of deliver us. And we see in this passage, Joseph has this like possibility, this excitement that he's hoping for that doesn't seem to come. One of the authors I was reading uh, on, on this passage says, we know how hard it is when that good goal seems to be almost within our grasp, only to have our hopes dashed at the last moment. We know that what it is to wait for the phone call that will confirm you have landed the job of your dreams or that that relationship you desire will move forward. But the phone call or text, it's older, never comes. Whatever the reason for the lack of communication, the hopes that a few days before were so bright are now gradually fading away, the author continues, And what we realize is we can find ourselves empty in this long wait that we're in on this side of heaven. Does that sound familiar? It does to me. Some days are great, but often we find ourselves longing and yearning for God to just bring us out of the pit. And so this morning, I think we can learn from Joseph that we can hope in God. We can trust in God's ways. We can trust in his provision even in the midst of this long wait we are in. And we're going to look at that through really two broad points. This outer working that we see Joseph understanding the, the, God's work, the outer working of God, 
And then also there's this inner working of God in Joseph. So um, we're just going to work our way through the passive, starting with this outer recognition of God in our passage. Joseph, uh, just to remind us of what's going on, is overseeing in this ministry, in this role he's in, the, the, the servants or the, the prisoners of Pharaoh. And so when this cupbearer and when this baker come into prison, they're under Joseph's watch. And it's fascinating because he comes in and they've had this dream. Now, like even last night I had the craziest dream. I was on a little old boat to China. No, come on, anyone? I did. I had a crazy dream. I don't have them very much. My wife has them every night, and it's overwhelming. I just told her eventually in our marriage, I can't hear your dreams anymore. <laughs> One day I said, write them down, and she showed me 10 pages, and I was like, don't do that. That's not good. Paraphrased. But I think what made this unusually shocking is, can you imagine waking up and eating your cereal and saying, I dreamed this crazy thing about like three branches and this and that, and the other person's like, Okay, that's kind of weird because I had a dream too. And you start comparing your dreams because that's really what's happening. These two people who one's a cupbearer and one's the, the baker are kind of realizing this is not normal. Something huge has happened in the night with this dream. And now they're really scared. And not only that, they, they probably are somewhat aware of Pharaoh's practice of birthday murder and birthday deliverance. Who knows? Uh, and so they're just overwhelmed when Joseph come in, comes in. But what's fascinating is that Joseph has the wherewithal to say the line from verse 8, do not interpretations belong to God? Please, tell them to me. And what that reveals is that Joseph has maintained this outer sense that God is in control, that God has a plan that this is part of God's story. He's seemingly always able to do that, even in this moment, even in his suffering. Now, let's just to let you know a little bit about their jobs and maybe why they're in jail. We don't know what their indiscretion, their sin that they did, but these are not just, these are probably the head of teams. So, for example, in a few days, when the big party's happening, the, the baker's in jail. And yet there's going to be a huge party. There's obviously other bakers. So these men are probably at the top of a chain of those people. And they are the ones that are the closest to Pharaoh. They, they probably have his ear. They get to talk to him and, and maybe, you know, share things or even hear with him talking to other people. And so there's this kind of intimacy with Pharaoh that, that really creates the backdrop to this story. And here Joseph finds them in his care and he interprets these stories, which we're going to talk about in a minute, these dreams. But it's this picture of, like, it's finally happening. His faithfulness is finally, this is going to be it. Like, in three days, you know, he, know, he hears these dreams and he's ready to, to see himself get out of jail. Well, the problem is, is the timing. God is sovereign. Joseph trusts him. But now we have this timing issue, don't we? I think oftentimes in our own lives, we will get glimpses of God, we'll get glimpses of him at work, we'll get moments where we sense things are changing, and then it seems to fall flat. And it's because we, his timing is not our timing. And so in a moment, we'll talk about the content of the dreams, but at the very end of our story, we find out what Joseph predicted comes to pass. You heard it, that 
the cupbearer lives, the baker does not live, and the cupbearer does not remember Joseph, forgets him. And you just end the passage with this sense of like, not again, not again. How are you with God's timing? Don't we all want things? Has anyone ever wanted God to work slower? I've never heard anybody say, you know, I think he's moving a little fast. Things are just kind of coming my way at rapid pace. This is amazing. Slow it down, God. No, we all are like, speed it up. But what we struggle in is I think we can struggle in understanding why would God move slowly. And this passage helps us understand it. When the cupbearer is restored, what Joseph wants, what you and I would have wanted is this. And yet you have to, it almost is comical if you play it out in your head. But what you would want is the cupbearer, like maybe give Pharaoh three days to work off the party. And then you kind of come in and you're pouring the wine. You're like, hey, I just want to tell you. Um, yeah, remember when I was in jail a couple of days ago? <laughs> it wasn't as bad as I thought, thank you. But um, there was uh, this guy in there. And see, we had this weird dream. I mean, you just start to play it out. It's not going to work. Like, if he tells the Pharaoh, I had a dream, and my dream said I would live, and the cupbearer, or the baker is going to die, and this guy, and did he think, does Joseph think that the Pharaoh is going to go, welcome that man into my court to have everything that is mine? No. There's got to be a process. God is working, not infinite, but a lot of details out, and like any story or novel, it has to unfold, and what we know later is that the Pharaoh has to have his own dream, long for it to be interpreted, and then kind of cry out to the court who could do this before it's even a thought that maybe there's this person in the jail that can come forward. It has to go through these steps. And I just want us to draw some encouragement from the fact that oftentimes when we want God to speed up things, it would actually derail the very mission that we're on, the very calling that we have. Had Joseph been set free best case scenario. Hey, if he interpreted your dream, let him free. That's amazing. He's going to kind of end up somewhere else and not be in the position to interpret the Pharaoh's dream. God's timing is perfect. So that's sort of the backdrop of, these, of this story is are we longing and trusting of God's sovereign timing and care of all the circumstances of our lives? As a follower, I, the quote at the front of our um, I'll go ahead and read it now, of our worship guide, it says this. Everyone is on a sort of journey, one sort of a journey or another. Failure to recognize this is to fail to be human and to suffer great deprivation. Walker Percy, the late novelist and metaphysician, once said in a conversation, quote, I have learned that the most important difference between people is between those for whom life is a quest and for those whom it is not. The vision of a quest confers meaning on our lives. It enables us to see all that happens as moving us closer to or further from our goal and to make distinctions between what helps and hinders us in our journey. And Walker Percy was a, a follower of Christ and a novelist and other things. But the point is, if you take just the idea behind that quote and look at it through the lens of Joseph's story, do you see yourself on a journey that God has ordained? Or are you just living day in and day out until one day, someday, the end comes? The Christians that we admire, 
that write the hymns we sing, that live the lives we believe in. The calling of the New Testament is to call us into journey and to understanding that God, the great author, is orienting, orienting our lives in such a way that we can trust him, even though our job isn't necessarily to read every single tea leaf and try to interpret it, but to trust. Joseph could not figure out why he was not being rescued. Imagine every dangling of the key for the next six weeks, every footstep down the hall, every door opening, this is it. Right? The cupbearer finally told the Pharaoh and he's rescued me and it wouldn't come. It was two more years. Undoubtedly, he assumed that was a, a long gone issue and that story was over. So what we need to do is look inwardly at our walk with Christ and ask, can we develop Joseph's view about the story? So we're going to kind of move into the inner workings of Joseph's heart. Because he did trust God outwardly to read the, the, the um, dreams and to eventually rescue him. But there's this fascinating inner situation that's going on, I believe, in this story. And it begins with the fact that in the midst of this darkness that he's in, and he calls it out. He says, I was, I mean, kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, thrown in this pit. But did you notice something? Did you notice he cared about the prisoners? How are you at caring for the people in your lives when life is turned upside down? I find that often, don't ask my children, but I'm, you know, it's too, when I become self-consumed, it's very easy to ignore the people who need me, the people whom I should care for the most. And here's Joseph in the midst of that, walking into a room with these two prisoners where most of us would have been like, here's your, here's your food. Have a good day. I'm out. And he's like, what's wrong? He notices. There's something wrong. He leans in. You guys seem upset. Why the long face? He attunes to them. He pays attention to them. Had he not done that, they would have never mentioned a dream. So not only is God sovereign over all the events of our lives, but we play a part by faithfully living moment by moment in his care and being who we're meant to be with relationships and looking into people's eyes and caring for them. And God uses each of these steps and stories along our way, along our path. So there's two things that just happens. This attunement to them gives us two stories. The first one is the cupbearer. And I think we already know how it goes. But the cupbearer says, I had a, let me tell you about my dream. And he tells Joseph this dream. And if you're Joseph, you're delighted because God, I don't know how it works for Joseph, but somehow God's giving him insight into the fact that this person is going to be restored in three days. And who doesn't want to deliver that news? Like that's super exciting. I love in ministry to get to deliver great news. Don't you, don't you love to tell people great things? And he gets to say in three days, you get your job back. You're out of this jail and everything's going to be great. He just has one request. Remember me. Please. Just please remember who I am. And then he, acts, he adds a line. He says, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. That word is hesed. As you know famously, it's a picture of God's loving kindness to us. 
right? And he's saying, there's, there seems to have been this relationship that was deep and powerful and moving. Um, so that's beautiful. The inner workings of, of, the, of the Lord, he attunes to them. He gives this good news. But I want to give us a little bit of a challenge. Sometimes when the Lord's working and you're following Christ, you have to deliver the bad news, don't you? The next dream. You know, the co- I don't know if, if the chief baker was already sort of suspicious of his dream when he compared notes. Something about er- birds eating out of my head. And, uh, okay, I'll give it a try. You know, he seems to have some courage. So in verse 16 he says, when he saw the interpretation was favorable, he thought he would try his. He says, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food. Apparently, Egypt had, like, a tremendous pastry. Like, they're into existence today from this era recipes. So uh, they weren't as low carb as you might have thought. But they are, uh, these birds are now eating out of this basket. And here's Joseph's response. What would you have done if you're Joseph? You've just told the other person, remember me. This is maybe my chance to get out. Baker tells you that dream. I don't know if God whispers it, how it works, but you're like, uh, you know, I don't know. I think it's not coming through. It's not coming through as clearly as his was, you know. Or you might say, uh, I just think, you know, if you have a shot at running, just, you know, the Mediterranean's about three days. Just get, get over there. No, what did he do? He says it very straightforwardly. I don't know the significance of, of how, but he just simply says, uh, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Was that nice? I mean, was that kind? Let me ask you this. If someone knows you're dying in three days, would you want to know? Now, listen, The answer is, there's nothing more gracious as a human being than to have the messenger of God who knows Yahweh look you in the eyes and say, you have three days to get your life in order. You have three days to receive the gospel. You have three days because it is coming to an end. There's grace even in the bad news, isn't there? So here's Joseph having just delivered this news. He's back in the jail, and as you know, this birthday party's happening, and I don't know how he gets news in the pit. I don't know how bad his situation was. But apparently, exactly what he says is going to happen happens. What do we do with this story? How do we bring this together? Who do you relate to? Are we Joseph? Well, obviously, we relate to Jesus, don't we? Jesus is Joseph, and Jesus is the one who represents us, you know, who, who can come before us and deliver us the news of God, tell us our life story, who goes through the trials of, of life on our behalf. And we really are probably in the position of this chief baker. I certainly am. It's my last name. So the whole time I'm reading this, I'm like, golly, can't he get out? But the truth is, we're the ones that deserve in three days you die. Don't we? And yet, in three days, what are we? We're the cupbearer. We live. And Jesus dies on a tree. 
And this week we were studying on Wednesday nights, we're going through Gentle and Lowly, and we were reading from Hebrews 4, uh, 15, and this coming week it'll be Hebrews 5, verse 2, and so I highly recommend you come for the follow-up. By the way, there are books on the table, as I'm finding my place, there's a few books left. If you come on Wednesday night, you don't have to have read, just show up, and you'll be brought up to speed. But there's this place in Hebrews where the writer says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, meaning he's in heaven. He's, he's made it. That's our priest. We do not have a high priest then who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And so that, that those three verses center on this concept that Jesus, like Joseph, has gone through every weakness you'll ever face. And what we discussed on Wednesday night was, it's tempting to say, yes, yes, maybe. I mean, let's be honest, Jesus never sinned. So he doesn't really know how bad it gets when you sin, right? And the author did a great job, he quoted Lewis, but of describing the fact that if two people are walking against wind, let's call that temptation, and one falls over, let's call that the person who sins, rather than thinking, wow, you have it worse, the person who's resisting the wind still is, is actually facing more temptation. In some ways, sin is the easy bailout that we all do. And if you press that even further, however, the Christian, though we all sin, none of us will ever face the punishment for our sin. God's face will never be turned away. So here's Jesus, who doesn't sin, facing temptation after temptation for his entire life, especially right up to the garden where he sweats drops of blood, knowing what's coming. And then on the cross, God turns his face away from Jesus so that he would never turn his face away from you and I. So who are we in this story? We are the baker, but we're also mysteriously the cupbearer because we've been rescued. And so when we come to this story, we can go, Joseph is a picture of Jesus who faces this incredibly horrific death on a cross, what is your weakness? Where do you relate to that? What do you do with that? We hear that over and over again, but it is our job, and I said this on Wednesday night, to not just go, oh, we have a high priest who in every respect knew how to face weaknesses like mine, and then we stop. What is your weakness? Where do you sin? Where do you rebel? Where do you not believe? Where do you choose to ignore the beauty of the gospel? Where are you avoiding the cross in your life? Because that is our job because of what our high priest has done. We are now set free to name our particular weakness. In other words, we cannot be encouraged by Hebrews 4 or by the life of Joseph if we don't name a particular way that we struggle in our daily lives. And I have a feeling if you are at all like me, we love to generalize. Oh, I'm a sinner. Oh, I'm not perfect. But do I, ra I rarely like to go, Lord, here's the particular ways I rebel against you. 
Theologically, I'm reformed. I love that information. I believe it. I'll tell people all about it. But practically, I love generalities. Let's stop. Let's be honest before Jesus and our time with him. Lord, you went to the cross because of my particular sin. This cupbearer and this um, baker, they did something really wrong. And the actual word is sinned against Pharaoh. We do wrong things. And it ruins our lives. And we have a Savior who says, I covered your sin. Hallelujah. And all we need to do to really experience that is to bring those particular things to him. Don't get me wrong. You're already covered. But we don't know the joy of the forgiveness if we're not willing to name these little places, these areas of weakness, these places where struggle is happening, whether it's my sin or whether it's the stuff coming at me like Joseph was facing, are you taking those to him in prayer? I'm not asking you to earn anything. I'm asking you to f- actually celebrate. You get to go to the birthday party. Like, we're invited because of the celebration. Our head is lifted up because of what Jesus has done. But how much more beautiful is that party when we know what we've been forgiven for, when we know what we're going to in heaven one day, someday, when we know the, in the final dream, which is that we will spend eternity at the great banquet. In just a few moments, we're going to have a communion service. Just a few minutes. If you're new here, it won't last. It's not, I made it sound like this long thing. It's a good five minutes, but it's a, it's a delightful celebration of a sacrament where Jesus says in 1 Corinthians, or it's repeated there, remember me. Does that sound familiar? Do this in remembrance of me. Joseph asks the cupbearer, remember me. And so Jesus goes to his father and does this for you and I. Remember them, I, I've saved them, they're ours, they're, they're free. And now is our opportunity to return that favor not out of compulsion, but out of delight by remembering him, by taking this meal and celebrating the rescue he's given us. The pit has been opened that we are set free and we, and we don't have to wait around for the jingling of a set of keys. We know the jail is open. So let us pray now and then in a moment celebrate in a, in a wonderful way the freedom we have in Christ. Father, we praise you that you not only set Joseph free, which led to a sequence of events and proper time, that we are told by Paul that when the fullness of time had come, you sent forth your son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law of which we are or were. And now we have been set free. Lord, in Hebrews you describe Jesus, you tell us who he is. He's the great high priest who intercedes on our behalf presently, right now, moment by moment, remembering us before you. And not just a high priest who stands far away, but a high priest who in every respect sympathizes with our weaknesses, things that we do sinfully and things that are done to us harmfully. And yet you have provided a rescue. And Lord, you have called us to approach the throne of grace to, with joy to come to you to receive your blessing. And in a few moments as we take this communion supper, Lord, I pray your spirit will revive us, wake us up from our slumber, wake us up from our fear, our fears of this life, 
of the ways that we operate more like the baker or the cupbearer and not like Joseph. The ways we try to scheme, the ways we try to get through this world and fix things on our own. Wake us up to when we drink of this wine and eat of this bread, we will realize what you have done to rescue and forgive us. In your name we pray. Amen.